Lord, thank you for just this moment we have on Wednesday night, God. I think about how compared to the whole week, Lord, all the hours in a week, just spending an hour and a half with you is like nothing, God, here together with God's people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless your word. And as we take this time, make the effort to sit with you, Lord, that you would speak to us. And just as Zach has been praying that you would have a word for each one of us. We, we need to hear from you. Our hearts are heavy. Our hearts are yearning for you. We just desire more of you in our lives. So I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would anoint your word tonight and bless this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard about two pastors in India talking story about their ministries. And and one of them, in trying to be a little impressive, one of the pastors spoke about how big his ministry was. He was speaking in terms of numbers, like the numbers of people. How many people came to service? How many came, the numbers that came to his Bible school, the numbers that were involved in the different ministries? Well, the other pastor uh, was listening in and was listening to this talk of the numbers and uh, heard nothing about like the testimony of the work of God. And so this other pastor got a little weary of it all and this other, the first pastor just going on and on. And so as the first pastor was talking, the other pastor, the second one, interrupted him and he said this, Brother, when you, uh, uh, when are you going to quit living in the book of Numbers and start living in the book of Acts? <laughs> I like that. Amen to that. Because it's not about the numbers. It's about the truth of God working through the Spirit of God in the people of God. That's what it's really about. You know, if you think about it, Islam... Uh, in this world today is actually the fastest growing religion. Researchers say that it will surpass Christianity by numbers in 2050. Well, I kind of wonder, is the reason for this, is it because believers have less of an impact maybe on, on the world today? It could be. I, it made me think about something A.W. Tozer once wrote. He said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But then he went on to say this, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That says a lot right there. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Acts, which is about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles and believers in that time, which is come, it comes after the ascension of Jesus Christ. As we get into the book of Acts, we see that this is really the next chapter of the mission of God. And so that's our title once again, the next chapter, and we're in part two. If you remember last week, I mentioned that uh, it's going to be part one, I'm not going to fit everything, and so we're going to do a part two next week, and this is this week with part two. 
And with part two, we're going to study Acts chapter one, and we're going to back up a bit, uh, look at verse eight, and then go on to verse, uh, all the way to verse 11 tonight. So the reference for tonight listed is Acts one, verses eight through 11. Our title again, the next chapter, we're seeing the next chapter and what God is doing. This is part two from what we began last week. Now, our overall outline from verses 1 through 11 is this. The part two of the work, the promise and the power, and then number three, the parting view of Jesus. If you remember last time we looked at the part two of the work, and and that was uh, like from verses 1 through 4, I believe, and then number 2 is the promise and the power from there to verse 8. And today we're going to go to part 2. After we look at verse 8 once again, we're going to see the parting view of Jesus. That's part 2 in this message from verses 9 through 11. Okay, so that's our overall outline, our title, the next chapter in this part 2. I want to back up a little bit. And we're going to go back to heading number two, the promise and the power. The promise and the power. And there we had covered verses four through eight. I think earlier I said one through four. It was one through three. So anyway, uh, four through eight last time. But I want to back up one verse to verse eight. Verse eight. So take a look with me there again. Verse eight. Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we're going to stop right there as we back up a little bit. Now, last week we covered this verse, but let's get up to speed here. I might repeat some things that maybe you heard last week, but... If you hear it, then you know what? You need to hear it again. (laughs) And it's worth repeating again. So bear with me, but at the same time, listen again for the Holy Spirit's voice. So let's get up to speed here. Now Jesus in verse 4 asked the disciples to stay and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Till the Holy Spirit comes upon them in what he was saying here. You will receive the power of Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then they are to go and share the message of Jesus Christ. Now, last week we learned here in verse 8 that this word upon is the Greek word epi. It means over or overflow. Remember Jesus in verse 5, if you look up there, he talked about how in a few days you will be baptized, right, with the Holy Spirit. And with that thought, we understand to be baptized is to be immersed. So if you take that word baptized, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you look at verse 8 where it says the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the whole idea is that we will be empowered. We will be given this ability to do the work that God calls us to do. Now the word power in verse 8, if you remember, is the word dunamis. And that means capability. It means ability. It, it, it speaks of power, the power of God. So the whole idea is that you will be given a supernatural ability. Not like some natural talents maybe you're born with or you develop. But a supernatural ability 
to fulfill and do God's calling, to be empowered to do God's calling. And I really want to emphasize that tonight. That, that's that empowering of God. It's the strength of God. It's, it's, it's given this ability to do something that you normally would never do. That normally it doesn't come natural to you. That normally it's not convenient to you. That normally it's not something you just automatically do. But it's something that God gives you when you are filled or when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I, I, I was thinking about this. Turn to the right, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and I, I keep thinking about this when the, I was reading this um, in a devotion weeks back. And I keep coming back to this in, in my mind. So if you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verses 4 through 6 here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul the Apostle's writing here. And he writes here in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 3. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Now I like that word confidence here. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Isn't that great? It's, it's not that I have this strength. It's not that I have this power. It's not that it comes from me. But our sufficiency comes from God himself. And then in verse 6 he says, Who has made us sufficient to be what? Ministers of the new covenant. What's the new covenant? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not of the letter, talking about it's not by commandments, you know, you don't get saved by Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that comes and empowers. It's the Spirit that comes and saves. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The commandments came really to show your sin and actually condemn you, so it kills. But the Spirit gives life. In other words, the, the gospel of Jesus through the Spirit of God given there, it gives salvation and new life in Him. So stare at that for a moment. Do you see that your sufficiency is not of yourselves? Verse 5, right? Not that you can claim it, but your sufficiency, your power, your ability, your capability is from God. Cement that into your heart and mind right now. Let that sink in there. It's not you. When you go out, to serve the Lord. When, you, when you're sharing with someone, when, 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 when you're living for God even, it's not on your own. It's through the power of God. All right, back to Acts chapter 1. And if you take a look at verse 8, once again, as we back up a little bit and talk about this verse a little bit, we see that you will, Jesus is promising, right? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what happens? Then you're going to go out. You will be my witnesses. Remember that believers will be able to testify to Christ and share about the saving power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. They will be the witnesses in that way. And where will they go? Well, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You're going to go out now. This is the command of Jesus to go. This is the commission uh, bringing in the commission to go out and witness Christ to others. And you will go out into, first of all, Jerusalem, right, right at home. 
right where you're at. And then Judea, like the county, Jerusalem sat in Judea, the southern part of Israel. And so that's like the county or the state where you live. Samaria, like the next area. And then to the end of the whole world. You know, the book of Acts, if you think about it, starts in Jerusalem. And, the, and when we end in chapter 28, it ends in Rome with Paul. So literally, it did go out. The gospel of Jesus went from Jerusalem all the way to the end of the earth to Rome. And what Acts doesn't record was even other countries um, Egypt, other places that we know from tradition and apostles where they went. So we see that the book of Acts really is this account, right, of how 11, I call them like ragtag kind of disciples, turned the world upside down, as I said last week. And it was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me emphasize that again. It's through the power of the Spirit we can do these things. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can bring the gospel to others, that we can serve the Lord. Here, the book of Acts, this is the next chapter of the work of God in bringing people to salvation. Remember, the book of Luke was his first writing, and Acts is the second. And in his first writing is the story of Jesus from birth to his ascension, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And then Acts gets into from his ascension, which we're going to see in the next section, and, and it goes on in what happens. So this is the next chapter of how God works now in bringing people to Jesus Christ. This is how God continues to powerfully move and save people from their sins and transform their lives. So this is an exciting book to see what's going to happen. And, and let me throw this out to you that you would learn from this. As we go through this, as we study this, let us learn to live like the apostles did. Let us learn to live like in the power of the Spirit as believers have. Now, if you remember verse 8, this is really our theme verse, right, of the whole book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the year. And that was like the outline, if you remember, of, of the book. So this is the theme verse. And... I have to apologize. I reworded our, reworded our theme. I didn't like it. I was looking at it going, that's kind of dumb. So I reworded our theme. And so the, what we find in the book of Acts is this, and we're going to put this on the screen. Our theme is this, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. That's our theme. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers believers that's what this book is about and as you read that on the screen doesn't it make you desire more of that in your life doesn't it make you desire the power of the holy spirit working in my life god i want that i want what i'm going to see here i want what i know of the book of acts i want the power of the holy spirit working in my life 
as I live every day, as I wake up in the morning, I have all the way to go to bed, whoever I interact with, whatever you have me to do, wherever you take my feet, God, I want that power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, moving me, giving me the capability, helping me. I want that, you guys. I want more of that. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. The other day I saw this um, sailboat going by, and it was a pretty good size, and it had two sails, you know, that, I don't know what, I'm not a sailor, but that front sail and that, 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 that back one, and, 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 and the, the, the wind was blowing, and the sails were, were, you know how the sails kind of bend in the wind, you know, and they're tied at the top and bottom, and, and it just was full of that wind and air, and the front one was too, and it was just moving the boat pretty good, pretty good speed. I know that some of the sailboats have small motor, you know, I mean, when the wind dies down, you can still get around. But the point is, right, to have the wind move the boat. That's where the speed comes from. That's where the momentum comes from. That's when the boat really begins to move. It's when the wind fills the sails. That's like us. We want the Holy Spirit to fill our sails, to move us. That's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit to fully full, uh, uh, fill this, our sails so we would be empowered to move in that way in the power and the motion of what the Holy Spirit is doing. I think sometimes we, we, we kind of move in our own strength. You know, it's kind of like we take the oar out and we're trying to, trying to move, you know, kind of like that. And perhaps maybe God gives you a little strength and you have that little motor, you know, kaboom, I can't make the sound, you know, kind of going in the water, right? But we must let the Holy Spirit fill your sails. Fill that to, to where they're bending, where it's really pushing the boat at speed and momentum, really moving in, in, in that way. That's the idea. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. Understanding this a little more, let's turn over to Ephesians. Turn over to the right to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians now. Chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Once again, we have the Apostle Paul writing here. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And he says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 18. Ephesians 5, 18. He says... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, the word filled here is not like in our English version, in the ESV, it's like a past tense. It, the original word is actually uh, be filled and be continually filled. And it's a command, really. Uh, it's given like as a command. You guys, you got to be filled and you got to be continually filled with the Spirit. Your sails have to bend. You have to be, be all ballooning with the wind of the Spirit blowing it. Now, the word filled here, it, it's also 
The idea of the Holy Spirit in control, that you are put under the control of the Holy Spirit. If you think about it, in the first part of verse 18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. What happens with alcohol? You drink too much. Um, what You're under the influence, right? We use that word. You're under the control of that alcohol. But, but Paul's saying, hey, don't let alcohol control you. Don't be under the influence in that way. I mean, that, it's sin. It's the debauchery. It's, it's, uh, the word means like, uh, like tempting to ruin. You know, it, it just, it's a road to nowhere kind of thing. But you know what matters is be filled, be under the control, be influenced, be, be surrendered to the Spirit, to be under the control of the power and the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So living a life filled with the Spirit is basically that, is to place yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's to live with this. I was reading a book recently. Uh, talked about uh, we got to live with a God consciousness. You know, being God conscious. Every, every day, every moment of the day. Sometimes we get lost in our work, lost in what we're going, uh, doing. But we need to always have in mind that God is here. God is there. God is with me. And with that in mind, we need to live continually filled with the Spirit. Like, let me ask you this question. Who usually controls your life? You or God? You or the Holy Spirit? So many times we just default, right, into our own thinking and our, our own ways. And, and, and that's what moves us. But is it God? Sometimes we do things without even asking God. Sometimes many of us just operate on how we feel, right? And not being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. I mean, for me, when I think about that, I think, oh, Lord, am I being sensitive? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? How about right now, as you're listening to me, whether you're online or here in this room? Are you being sensitive to the Spirit, tuned in to the Holy Spirit? Many times we don't automatically ask, Lord, what do you want? Lord, direct my thoughts. Lord, direct my heart. God, I'm, I'm, I'm in this trial. God, there's, I'm facing this decision. Do we automatically ask God or do we like, well, well, I think I'll just do that. Lord, what do you want? Lord, lead me by your Spirit. God, I, wanna, I, want, I want to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. If you want to live and be surrendered to God and the Holy Spirit, if you want the Spirit to fill your sails, we have to surrender our will to His. We have to surrender control to Him. So when we talked about when we talk about the power of the Spirit coming on us, that's what it's about. It's a supernatural power that we submit to, that we open our hearts to, that we are filled with as we allow Him to control us. Not trying to do things in our strength, but letting God come and strengthen us. Back to Acts chapter 1. This is what Jesus 
is saying. Our theme, once again, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. You want the power of the Spirit to work in your life? Then more and more you need to surrender your life to God. More and more you need to surrender control to the Holy Spirit. W. Graham Scroggy said this about Acts. Christ is the theme, the church is the means, and the Spirit is the power. I love that. I love that. I want my life to be that. That Christ is the theme of my life. That, 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 that I'm, I'm the means. You know, I'm the tool. And the Spirit is the power in that way. So let the Holy Spirit rule in your life. Okay. We come to the next chapter here. We saw last week the part two of the work. I uh, kind of bat, went backwards a little bit to the promise and the power. Now let's go to the parting view of Jesus. The parting view of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 1 reads, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. We'll stop there. Now in this one verse, it describes basically the ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, you remember we studied this at the end of Luke chapter 24, at the end of the whole book, how uh, Christ ascended into heaven. And, and at the end of, of, of Luke, we saw that this all happened at, at, in Bethany. You remember Bethany? That's where Mary, Martha, Lazarus, that was her hometown. Jesus went there, stayed there when he would go into Jerusalem. That was like a little base for him. And, and it was there in Bethany, that's what Luke wrote, that this happened in verse 9. Bethany is on the, on the other side of the Mount of Olives across from Jerusalem. Between that is the Kidron Valley. And so here in Bethany, Jesus was taken up he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So here's the disciples watching Jesus rise up and up until he disappeared into the clouds out of their sight. Luke 24 words it this way. He was carried up into heaven. I like that because that's exactly what happened. Jesus went back to heaven. So this moment in verse 9 this was when Jesus went back to where he came from. This is his ascension. Now, in the ascension, remember that at this time, Jesus has been resurrected, right? He died, resurrected, and he, he has his resurrected body. So what Luke writes about here, what the disciples saw, it, it wasn't some vision. It wasn't some spirit, you know, a form of Jesus. But the disciples literally saw Jesus physically in bodily form, resurrection bodily form. They saw Jesus ascend up and disappear into heaven. Jesus went up physically, bodily. He went, basically he went back to heaven differently than how he came, right? Because he was born baby, a human being. But when he left, it was his resurrected body. So it's crazy to try and conceive this but it's hard to remember understand what his resurrected body is like this glorified body that i believe we're going to have too yeah bible tells us one day 
So he went from this earth up into heaven. He went from one dimension to another dimension when he went from this earth up to heaven. So this is the ascension of Jesus going back to heaven. Now look at verse 10 and 11. It says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he went into heaven. Yeah, He went to not just the sky, but I believe means all the way up into heaven. And he went up in the sky into the universe. Everything disappeared behind the clouds. And, and so they're, they're looking up. They're, they're gazing up. And as they're gazing up, there's two guys, two men stood by them. All of a sudden appeared. Who are they? Who are these guys? Well, I believe they're angels. I think the white robes talks about, uh, uh, indicates that these guys are angels. You know, maybe it's the two angels who were at the tomb when Jesus rose again from the dead. Could be the same guys, you know, helping the disciples understand what's going on. So they're like saying, well, hey, hey guys, why, why are you stand looking into heaven? I mean, it, it seems like a, a dumb question, right? Well, because Jesus went up there, that's why. Yeah. But if what they were really asking is that, why do you stand there looking longingly up into the sky for Jesus? In other words, the disciples were sad. The disciples, disciples were like taken back like, Oh, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, you, you've gone up. Jesus, you're, you're no, no longer with us physically. So it's the angels are really asking, why are you guys so sad? Don't be sad about this. Don't look longingly. You know why? Because in the same manner, in the same way as you saw Jesus go into heaven, you know what? He's going to come back in that same way. And you know what he's saying? The angels are saying, he's going to come back physically. We know in his second coming, you know, that Jesus will return, literally return. We know that he'll come in, in a cloud in glory, so there's going to be a cloud, Matthew 26, 64. It's also interesting that in Zechariah 14, 4, it's prophesied that when the Messiah returns, he will stand, guess where? On the Mount of Olives. Bethany, right? Where he went, he will return. So the angel said, hey, why are you looking so sad? He's going to return. He will return in a bodily, literally, literal, physical body. It's, he's not just going to be some ghost or something like that. I was thinking about what the angel was saying here in the same manner in this resurrected, bodily, glorified uh, form. Uh, a real body here. I was thinking about how after the failed prediction of the Jehovah's Witness, the cult, I'm going to call them, is that Jesus, um, they, uh, their prediction that Jesus returned and set up a new world in 1914. That, that was their prediction. Well, when that didn't happen, after that failed prediction, 
You know what they said? They said that, oh, well, well, here's what happened. Jesus did come, but he came back in this invisible presence. And they say, only those with eyes of understanding, I quote, with eyes of understanding, they're the only ones who can see Jesus. Well, first of all, we know in Matthew 24, 36, that no one knows that day and hour when Jesus will return, right? So, and this isn't the first prediction of the Jehovah's Witness. And you know, the Old Testament tells us if a, if a prophet's you know, prediction doesn't come true, then you stone him, right? Because he's not a real prophet. This isn't the per- first prediction, but it, it failed, 1914. There's no Jesus return and a whole new world kind of thing. But we also, and, and, and so to predict that Jesus would come at a certain time, Jesus said himself, nobody knows. Yeah. You can't predict that. And with what we read here, we know what the angels are saying, that Jesus will return in a literal, physical, bodily body. Yeah, that's how he will return. So, be wary of any any that say things that don't really line up with Scripture. All right, so that... Um, oh, one more thing, one, one note. In verse 11, notice how the angels say, men of Galilee. I, I like that. He, the angels don't call them, you apostles. Yeah. You specially chosen, sent out ones, you know. Uh, he, the angel just addresses him like, you, you guys from the country, you know. In other words, you, you I guess the old word, old word is country bumpkins, you know. You guys who don't know that much, who, who are just simple living people, yeah, who aren't qualified, you know, who don't have the uh, rabbi schooling and all that. They just say, hey, men of Galilee, no worries. No worries. He'll, he'll, he'll return. Don't be so sad. Now, I'm sure the disciples were sad, right? I mean, won't you be? Jesus teaches them. Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And they're a little bit confused. Remember earlier in this chapter that they're like, oh, so are you bringing the kingdom now? That means you're, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, wait for the power of the Spirit. You'll be baptized. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, see you later. <laughs> the brother's going, wait, wait. Wait, aren't, wait what, what are we going to do without you, Jesus? You got us all excited. We know from Scripture you are the Messiah. We know that, that, that prophecy was fulfilled when you came and you died on a cross and, and atoned for our sins and you rose again from the dead. What, what, oh, Jesus, we're all excited to tell everybody. What are we going to do without you? How can we go out yeah, without you being here? They're probably like looking like, whoa, wait, wait, what? What, what? what do we do? Why did you have to go and ascend at this moment? Well, I want to give you five reasons why Jesus had to ascend back to heaven. There's five reasons why he had to. This was part of the plan. This is God's will in all of this this is important for us to understand 
So even though the disciples are sad, there's reasoning behind it. So number one here is this. The ascension marks his exaltation and coronation. So the ascension, Jesus ascending, it marks when Jesus was exalted, when his coronation, when he was made king. Ephesians 1.20, you can write that one down. It says that God the Father, I quote, seated him at his right hand. That means Jesus sits at the highest, most exalted position in heaven. That's what it means, that he's seated at the right hand. It means that Jesus is the sovereign king over all things. That was his coronation. That was his exaltation. That's where his position, his place is that God the Father put him. You know, it also means sitting at the right hand. It means that Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death when he died on a cross. And when he rose again, he defeated the devil. Yeah. It just, it means all that. that He's victorious. He's a victorious king. Coming home back to heaven after fighting the battle. Yeah. He comes home having conquered all this to bring salvation to the world. It also means Jesus rules now as head of the body, the church. Remember, Jesus is the head, the church is his body, right? So now Jesus is exalted, his coronation, he's sitting on the throne. So he's now officially the head of the church. Also, being seated at the right hand means when he does return to the earth, physically and bodily form, when he literally returns to earth and sets up his kingdom, he will be the Lord and King of all of this new uh, rule in the millennium. Think about it this way. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 that what? Every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So his ascension marks his exaltation and coronation all of these ways. It's, 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 it's his, his return was putting him on the throne in that place, in the highest, most highest, uh, uh, exalted place in heaven. Secondly, the ascension marks the beginning of his high priestly work. The ascension marks the beginning of his high priestly work. And you can write this down, Romans 8, verse 34. The second part of the verse says that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us, making intercession for us. So there's Jesus there, right, praying for us, watching over us, seeing our needs and interceding for us. He's right there. What comfort that brings that he's right there speaking to the Father, bringing his, re, the request, his request, request directly to God right there as he oversees, as he watches us, as he sees us. So the ascension number two marks the beginning of the high priestly work that we find in Hebrews and here in Romans 8.34. Isn't that great to know that your Jesus your Lord, your Savior, intercedes for you. 
watching over you. Number three, the ascension marks our home and hope is in heaven now. Our ascension, the ascension marks our home and hope is in heaven now. Why? Because Jesus went to heaven. Jesus went there. We know John 14 talking about he prepares a place for us. But we believers can move forward in hope. Yeah. That this world isn't, isn't our home. Right? This, this, this earth and all the, the fallenness of it, this isn't all that there is. Jesus went to heaven to prepare this place, to, 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 to give us this hope that we will one day have a future and eternal life in heaven. Think about it this way. What if, what if Jesus is still here on the earth, right? What if Jesus said, no, you know what? I'm going to set up in Jerusalem. What if he set up in Jerusalem today? I don't know about you, but I move over there, right? I'd want to be close to Jesus. I, I want to hear him. I want to see him. I want to, I want to be with him. But this earth is so messed up. It's not, it's not our home. Heaven is our home. It's not the final destination. So Jesus went to heaven, and that's what we look forward to in eternity, to be with him in heaven. So the ascension marks how he went to heaven, and now our home and hope is in heaven now. Number four, the ascension marks the passing of the baton to the disciples. We talked about that back in Luke chapter 24. With Jesus now in heaven, the disciples have no other course of action, right? To continue on the mission and the work of God, they got to do it. They, they have to do the work. I mean, if G, let's, let's say the book of Acts didn't have verse 9, 10, 11. Let's say Jesus stayed on the earth in the book of Acts. If Jesus was still on the earth, even up until this day, where if he's in Jerusalem, maybe, uh, or in the book of Acts, I would think that disciples would look at Jesus doing everything, right? I mean, think about in the book of Luke. They followed him. Jesus was really doing all the miracles, healings, everything like that. I was kind of thinking it's, it's like today. Uh, people think, well, the pastor should do all the work, yeah? Oh, um, the pastor should do all the evangelizing. You know, the pastor should do all the sharing. That's not my job. If Jesus was still here doing the work, and it was just one location, it would limit the outreach. But if every believer was sharing Jesus and the gospel, it can spread quicker and farther, right? If, if uh, you bring Jesus to them. So Jesus was passing the baton to the, to the disciples to do the work. All right, the ascension marks his exaltation and coronation. It marks the beginning of his high priestly work. It marks our home and hope is in heaven now. It marks the passing of the baton to the disciples. When he went up, disciples are kind of sad, but Jesus was giving them the baton. Okay, now it's you guys to go out and do the mission. And number five is this. 
the ascension marks the next phase of the Spirit's work on earth. I feel that this is the most important part in the study of the book of Acts, of what the ascension really, really uh, brings in for us as we study this book. You see, Jesus in John 14, 18 promised the disciples something. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. He's not, they're not going to be left alone here. Jesus ascended, but they're not going to be left alone. Who's going to be with them? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 7 that, hey, you guys, it's, it's important, it's better that I actually go away. Why is that? So the disciples can be filled individually with the Holy Spirit. So that now the disciples could be empowered to do the work. Maybe think about it this way. See it this way. When Jesus was on the earth, the disciples watched Jesus do all the work. But when Jesus leaves the earth, the disciples do the work by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's why it was important for him to go. He had to go so the Spirit would come. And he made the way so every believer would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember I mentioned last week that in the Old Testament, only certain kings and the prophets were filled with the Spirit. But now every believer is filled with the Spirit. When Jesus was walking on the earth, no one was filled with the Spirit. So the disciples were following, being trained by Jesus, but Jesus was doing that work. Jesus was sharing in the power of the Spirit, healing and doing ministry in the power of the Spirit. But now that Jesus leaves, and because of his death and resurrection and atonement and becoming a new creature, remember that we creation that we can have the Holy Spirit live within us, that the fullness of God can be within us. So the Holy Spirit now can empower us to do the work, to spread Jesus. The Holy Spirit, and um, maybe you've heard the term in the Bible like the Holy Spirit, or you heard the term the Spirit of Christ. And basically, it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit, um, we won't get into this tonight, but His whole effort is to exalt Christ, to glorify Christ, to point to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is all about promoting Jesus Christ. So many times, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. So with that in mind, think of it this way. If Jesus, say, was at the temple in Jerusalem, then, well, we would bring our lost ones to the temple. We would travel to Israel, to Jerusalem, so maybe they could get saved by Jesus. But with the Holy Spirit filling every believer, then believers can bring Jesus to any place on the earth. And so people can be saved right where they're at, right where they live. So understand, that's why it was important for Christ to ascend. Understand the importance of the ascension of Christ, of Jesus Christ. All right, so our last point is this. The parting view of Jesus is really overall to mark a whole new era in the work of God. A whole new era in the work of God after the cross, after the resurrection. Um, as we saw, right, that 
Jesus is, is on the throne now. Jesus is exalted. He's the sovereign king over all things. He's, he's the one watching over things, praying. He's the one who is in heaven where we look forward to be with. He's the one who passed now this mission and we have a calling. He's the one who started uh, uh, who is giving us this new era where the Holy Spirit lives within us. The parting view of Jesus is to mark a whole new era in the work of God. When I was talking story with someone the other day, I realized how old I am uh, because I remember a time, do you remember, I, some of you guys who are older, do you remember when, when you went to fix your car, you'd you buy this book or go to the library and borrow the Chilton Auto Repair Book, and you look for the particular book for the car you own, the model, the year, and the model, and make, and all of that. I mean, I remember buying one for my car, and you know, um, if I still had it today, I don't know where it went, but you know, I remember it had grease stains and stuff because you were using it to to try and fix your car. But nowadays, we're in a new era. Nowadays, you just go online, do a search for your make and model, and there's a YouTube video on how to fix that particular thing. I think it's amazing. It's like, wow, he actually walked you through the steps. There's a video. You can see exactly what you know, the, you're supposed to move and do or connect or unconnect. I remember sometimes with the, with the, repair, the old repair books, I mean, they'd have pictures, but it's like, wait, what? And they'd have a, a write-up, you know, but I, I'd just be confused sometimes. Like, wait, I don't get it, what? And like reading it over and over. But now you just watch some, someone, which is way easier. And you go, oh, okay, I get it. Well, today, after the ascension of Christ, all the way through the centuries to today where we live, it's a new era, you guys. It's a new era of doing things. For the apostles, for the disciples, it's a new era of doing things. This new era is what we find in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit residing, filling, baptizing, coming upon, empowering believers to do supernatural, amazing, wonderful things that they would never think they could ever do do that's you and I it's it's Jesus working through us it's the Holy Spirit working let me ask you tonight how do you operate is I mean so many times I think in some areas don't we just automatically default into operating in the flesh, operating in our own wisdom, operating in our own strength. We don't want to operate in the flesh. Like, think about Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they tried to accomplish God's plan by birthing Ishmael through Hagar, right? Sarah's servant. And in Galatians, Paul says, no, this was of the flesh. In Galatians, Paul goes on later talking about, we got to 
Walk in the spirit, not walk in the flesh. So as you operate every day now, when you wake up in the morning, when you go about into your day, is it the work of the flesh or is it a work of the spirit? Do you operate in the spirit or is it more of the flesh? Maybe like Abraham and Sarah, you're not waiting for God's plan and his will. You're just, you can't wait, you're impatient, you've got to go there. That's the flesh. The spirit will go on and wait upon the Lord and God's plan. So here's a challenge as we come to a close. God is calling us to be filled with the spirit, to live a life that we're operating in the power of the spirit. God is calling us to tap into that power, so to speak, to be filled with this supernatural ability to do the things that we never thought we could do, to, to, to come out of our box of convenience or, or our limitations of, well, I can only see this or I can only think and perceive this. No, to surrender control to the Lord. Say, okay, here I am, God. Use me in whatever way you want. I'll close with this. I read about this American who took in a visitor from England, and um, he went touring around the place and uh, took him to Niagara Falls. And as they look at the, uh, they're looking over the expanse of the falls, uh, it's just amazing to see us describing everything, the power of the water and everything and the, the coming through. They went below where the water uh, was, was crashing down on the rocks and it made a deafening noise. And you, you could just feel, feel the enormous power of the water. Well, the American talked about this enormous quantity of water and its great force. And he had to shout to say, this is the greatest unused power in the world. Well, the English visitor surprisingly said, yes, the power here is great, but there is something much greater. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. I think it's true. I think it's true in my life. <laughs> I, I want more of that power. So let us learn what that means. Let us learn from God as he teaches us. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? As we go through the book of Acts, let's learn. Let's take it in. Let, let's grow in this. Let's live in this new era. Let your life be a new chapter as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let this be the next chapter in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, as I always thank you, God. As we study it, it is, it is incredible, Lord, how deep it goes and how much we learn. And tonight, we're learning more about the Holy Spirit and what he means, what, what you have commissioned, Lord, for us, God, to have a life filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we call out to you right now. 
Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. The overflowing cup right now, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us, God, to give everything over to you. To stop living, God, for these things in the world. To stop living for ourselves, God. But to give control over to you, to the Holy Spirit. That he may move us, strengthen us, give us ability, speak to us, guide us, Lord. God, we want to live your will and we want to live out, God, being the person you want us to be, a person filled with the Spirit. So as we come to a close today, as we sing our last song, God, I pray that your Spirit would fall upon us, come upon us, Lord. Fill us, baptize us, God. Oh, Lord, we need your Spirit. God, I know that you have great plans, Lord, for each one of us. That you have set us here on this earth on a mission to share Jesus with others. To bring others to Christ. To help people, Lord. But we can only do it by you. And we know that now. But let us learn what that means. To move, to function, to default, default to, to be sensitive to, to sense, to move and live in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.